please take your seats. Good to see you here. And as Daniel said, this is uh, the last in our series on um, James, uh, because next week, of course, is Carnival. And then um, I didn't want to take a series into September and just do a bit here. So ne next September, there's going to be a new uh, series here at the teaching service. And uh, we're going to be entitling it Trinity Truths. Trinity Truths. Now, what does that mean? It means that we are going to look at the Bible teaching on the Trinity. God is one being, but three persons. Now, I don't want to lose you at that and suddenly think, oh, okay, so this is going to be some sort of theological, it's going to be intensely practical as well. Because you know God as Father, you know God as Son, and you know God as the Holy Spirit, don't you? And you don't know the Father unless you know the Son. And the Son was sent from the Father for the mission. And the Son was anointed by the Holy Spirit in order to do his mission. And then the Son went away to send the Holy Spirit to be with us. So everything about our life and experience with God is Trinity. You hear what I'm saying? So this isn't going to be just some sort of talk about beings and essence and persons and, and, and losing. No, it's going to be taking the scriptures and looking at that God is one and what that means for us. But also that he is three persons, that he's father. What does it mean? Son, what does it mean? Holy Spirit, what does it mean? How do they relate to one another? What are their different purposes in salvation? And how do we respond uh, I remember one person uh, once said to me, Bruce, I've got a problem. I said, what's the problem? I don't know who, which one I'm meant to pray to. I don't know if I'm meant to pray to the Father. I don't know if I'm meant to pray to the Son. I don't know if I'm meant to pray to the Holy Spirit. Someone told me I shouldn't pray to the Holy Spirit. So I don't know what to do. So when I pray, like if I pray 15 minutes, I use five minutes for one, five minutes for the other, and five minutes for the third, because I don't want them to feel like, you know, left out or anything. And I said, don't worry, I don't think you'll offend the Trinity because when you look at the Trinity, you see how each member of the Trinity loves the other and prefers the other and glorifies the other. And the beautiful thing is, is that God wants us to enter into that relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So throughout that month, we're going to be looking at the persons of the Trinity, how they operate together, what we can learn about God through those. So it's going to be very interactive. It's going to strengthen us. And, but at the same time, I want you to be firm in your faith because very few Christians can actually defend the Trinity. I mean, I remember my mum when she was a young Christian and I was away at university and I came back and she thought Jehovah's Witnesses came round. And they were talking about the fact that the word Trinity is not in the Bible, correct? And she said, they're right, aren't they? They're right, aren't they? And so I had to help her and deal with her and say, wait a second, they're wrong, actually. Uh, the, the doctrine of the Trinity is there, and this is how it affects your practical life. So please, it's not going to be some highbrow, got nothing to do with your daily life and your daily prayer and the things that you face. On the contrary, uh, we cannot know about God unless we know him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is actually going deep into who God is and uh, strengthen you in your faith and understanding. So that's going to be the month of September. But we find ourselves here in James. And in order to finish today, we're going to begin at James chapter 5, verse 7, which does mean that I've missed a few verses 
out from where we were. But I hope you forgive me for that. Um, the rest of the verses that I'm missing out are a continuation of what James has said about being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we spent time last week on being slow to anger and um, the wisdom from above and people falling out with one another and why they do that. And there is a continuation on this. There is a specific part on the rich that's in the section I'm not looking at. But I did deal with the rich and James's view of the rich and his warnings to the rich earlier on in the series. And remember, all of these sessions are on our media, KT Media. You go to the media page, you scroll down to where it says series, press on series, not just this series, but every series that we've done, the Sermon on the Mount, Israel and the Church, other series that our senior minister has done in the mornings and stuff, they're all there, and then you press the series, and then you can see them all lined up in a, in a, in a good way for you. But we're going, to, we're going to start James chapter 5 and verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is any of among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will raise up, save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if any, anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Here in Matthew chapter 8, Verse 5, what is happening is, in this last part of James, is we are returning to the theme that was so strongly there at the beginning. If you've been with us over this series here and there, you'll know that the book of James, the theme is all about how to deal with tests and trials in the Christian life. That's what it's all about. It's about how to dignify the trial, as R.T. Kendall says. It's about how not to buckle under the pressure of the trial. It's about the fact that there's always an end of the trial. It's about not being tempted during the trial to blame God or to, or to, to, to backslide from your Christian views because you're annoyed about what's happening in, in your life. It's about dealing with your trial by being quick to hear God, slow to anger, slow to, slow to speak. It's about going to the Word of God, the mirror of the Word of God, and not just hearing the Word, but putting it into action right where you are. 
I mean, we just read the end of James, but let me remind you again of the beginning of James so you can see that this theme is developed throughout the letter. Verse 2 of James 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So you can see that as we start the book of James... Tests and trials will come. And as we end the book of James, tests and trials will come. This is one of the most important books in the New Testament for Christians today. Because as you are aware, if you've been in these sessions, Christians have no idea how to... Many Christians have no idea how to deal with the difficulties of life that come their way. In fact, when a difficulty comes, a difficulty, a trial, or a test comes in their lives... Many Christians just don't know what to do. They can't even believe that God's allowed this to happen to them. They can't even believe that they had a bad day at the office. What's, what's the matter with God? Because they, they assume that God is going to keep us from any difficulties, any trials, or any tests, and that a test or a trial or, or an obstacle or a mountain in our path, that those things, that's the last thing they ever want to face. And so when a difficulty, test, or trial comes... They don't greet it and saying, there's purpose here. God is sovereign. This is going to give me an opportunity to walk in truth, walk in love, and to grow in the Lord, and I will come out of this trial. They look at it as if it's some foreign alien thing, and they begin to blame God, as James said, and, or they begin just to their Christian faith and character begins to unravel. We can all be lovely, nice, middle-class, polite Christians when nothing happens to us. But when we start facing difficulties, that's when we find what you're really like. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so trials, and remember, no trial will come without God bringing it to you. Now, we don't, we're not the author of our trials. Some Christians are always in trouble because of their bad attitude, their bad character, their nasty temperament, or their silly decisions. Those people that experience that type of suffering and trial... Although God is sovereign and can bring you even out of that, that's your fault. And that's not taking you forward, it's taking you backwards. But those things that come our way that are common to man, they're there and they're appointed for us to grow and to overcome and be victorious. Now, I don't want to go through the whole of James chapter 1 here, but can you see that in chapter 5 verse... Sorry, chapter 8 um, verse... Um, Sorry, what am I doing? I'm, I'm actually reading. Have I said 8.5? Because that's my message tonight, Matthew 8.5. So I'm reading the wrong page. I'm speaking on understanding spiritual authority of the centurion tonight. So, so excuse me for that. Uh, there's only five chapters in James. Uh, chapter 5, verse 7, picks up this theme that we see right at the beginning. Be patient. Patience. One of the, that is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit patience and after love it's my favorite fruit of the spirit i think it's the heart, one of the hardest it's my favorite fruit because if we had the fruit of patience in our lives things would go so much better with us and the word patience in the greek actually means long fused long tempered do you know what i mean you, you, we talk about people with the short fuse don't we you have to be careful with them because you say the wrong thing, bang, they're off. 
Well, this is the opposite. This is long fused. This is someone that can take it and 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 wait and wait and wait and wait. And that's a difficult thing to do. But that's a wonderful fruit of the Spirit because what James is saying is that in trials you need patience. And one of the greatest mistakes in trials is that we move too fast, make rash decisions make rash comments, rash words. We don't hold the tongue. We're not quick to listen, but we're quick to speak. We're quick to get annoyed. We're quick, we need to... And what God wants is people that are going to be patient so that they can wait for his wisdom, so that they can understand an appropriate response to the situation that they're finding themselves in. And that patience will be, remind, will be rewarded. We've all... Been, have you ever been in that place where you've received a really annoying email... And, you, and you're just annoyed, and you're writing the email back out of annoyance, and you are telling them a thing or two about what's happening. And then you press the send button, and you go, ah. And you try and recall it, but of course, they never recall. But then they do let the person know you tried to recall it, which is doubly embarrassing. Because first of all, you sent off a really annoying email or email to them, and then you tried to get it back. So not only did you send an annoyed email, but then they look and say, ah, they wish they hadn't sent it. Terrible, hey? No, I, I, I am in the habit of, if ever, I, if ever, and it hasn't been a while, it's been a while actually, so let's keep it at that, please. Whenever I get an, an email that really, really, really annoys me, I, I refuse to answer it until the next day. Why? Because I need to be patient. Something in you wants to deal with it now. Be slow to respond. But in the end, why not wait till the next day when you're in a better place? Patience. And James says, look, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently uh, for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Now, when he says, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord... One of the things that James is saying is this, look, in the end, it's all going to work out. The hope of the church is the return of Jesus Christ. It's what Titus calls the blessed hope, the revealing and return of, the Je of Jesus. That's our hope. I'm not talking necessarily about your personal trial, that, that, that might need this. But when you look at the world and sometimes you see the negative things that are going on and you think, when, when will this ever stop? When, when will justice ever reign? When will truth ever be accepted? And, and sometimes you can be, especially if you're sensitive of soul and have a prophetic inkling and, and res response to world events, it can be quite a crushing feeling when you see what's going on in the world. And at those times, you have to understand, look, Jesus will return. And you need to be patient. When things happen in life, when people die of sickness, when things happen in our life and we just don't understand, and it doesn't turn out the way we wanted it, and we've got unanswered questions from God, and trials that seem just to be left hanging and nothing ever happened, and we have these, these loose ends that we don't know what to do with them, it's at those times we have to have patience and say, do you know what? It's not over till it's over. Jesus will answer every question, concern, 
confusion that we have when he returns. And so when we don't understand, I mean, I think of, I think of you know, great, I'm thinking of John Wimber right now, a great man of God, a great man of God, with a great service of the Lord right through his life. And yet he dies with cancer by falling and banging his head on a table. And I think, what? With everything that he's done for the Lord, all his service, everything that he's given, what, what an undignified and um, inappropriate way for such a man to end his life. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't understand that. I don't understand that. But I'm not going to get angry. I, don't, I can't got an understanding. That's one of my loose ends, you know what I'm saying? But I know that one day, when the Lord returns, it'll all make sense. Do you hear what I'm saying? And maybe you've got some unanswered questions in your life about believers and this, that, and the other. And I'm saying it's okay not to have those answered because one day they will. And we have to keep that in perspective that on the other side of eternity, things are going to look extremely different than they do on this side. But I'm not, we're not just talking about these things, be patient till the coming of the Lord, but also he, gives the, he uses the illustration of the farmer, waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently to the early and the latter rains. Now the early rains uh, in Israel were in, in autumn, autumn. And that was when the rains came just after sowing. Very important rains. You sowed the seeds and the rains came there for them to germinate. And then the latter rains, those were in early spring. And that was at the harvest time that brought the harvest ripe. And so here is a great picture of a farmer. And, um, you know, the, the image of a farmer is a great image because of the sowing and the reaping. And we need to understand that God is more patient than we are. I mean, sometimes I sit back and think how patient God has been with me. I would not have been as patient with me as God. You know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes the stuff he's had to put up with, hey, and again, and again, and again, and yet here we are, still here. He's still there for us. His mercies are new every morning. Why? Because God knows that patience is a good thing, and if he's patient with us, one day we'll get there. And we need to be patient with ourselves. That doesn't mean we have to tolerate things that we shouldn't tolerate, but we need to be patient. But we also need to be patient in trials or situations to know that God is in control. And this is one of the greatest lessons of the Christian life. Because what will happen is, when you're facing trials and tests, what will happen is you will begin to put your Christian life to work in ways that you don't when there's no trials. You see, when there's no test or trial, and I'm not just talking about trials that come your way, there's a huge test that we need to engage in. The test is to bring Europe back to Christ. This just isn't just like, oh, well, whatever comes my way. God wants us to be proactive. We have to take on the trial and test of winning this nation back for the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? And so when you engage in these tests and trials, you begin to operate. You begin to do what we've heard to do. Slow to speak. Quick to hear. Slow to anger. And all the other principles that we've looked at. And what happens is you begin to put these principles to work. And sometimes you see fruit very quickly from that. That's God's encouragement. But sometimes it's like the, the woman that prayed and knocked and kept knocking and knocked and kept knocking and knocked and kept knocking and knocked and kept knocking. And Jesus says, pray and keep praying and pray and keep praying. And sometimes what can happen is we can lose patience and say, this isn't working. This, and we can give up. 
I know there's times when I've lost patience in trials or situations and just given up and thrown myself on the sovereignty of God. But God doesn't want us to give up. Because you see, often in the patient asking, more happens of benefit in our lives during the process of patience than even when we get what we're looking for. And God can give you what you want at a moment's notice. He could have given... Um, Abraham, the promise of Isaac, at a moment's notice, or at least at nine months, but even at a moment's notice. But 50-odd years went by, and Abraham still had to patiently wait for that promise to come to pass. Why? Because God was doing more in Abraham in that period of time, however long it was, that was more precious than even the gift that he could give at a moment's notice. So you have to understand, when you're frustrated, when things aren't working the way that, that they should... Understand, you are maturing. You are getting stronger. I'm beginning to understand this. Beginning to understand this in my own life. I've changed since I've studied the book of James. I'm not just talking with you, although that has changed me. I've changed since I've got to grips with the book of James. It's changed me. It's changed the way I deal with people. It changed the way I deal with myself. And it's changed the way I deal with trials. I still have those impatient impulses, but, not, but I, I, I know how to deal with them a little bit better than I used to. And what that is doing is, as I, I apply patience and the Word of God and going God's way, what that actually does is it actually makes me stronger as an individual. I still make mistakes, but I can feel that I'm a better man today than I was then. Do you hear what I'm saying? And I'm beginning to say, do you know what? That's what the most important thing is, that I become a better man. I mean, that I'm more... Because sometimes you can't control what's on the outside of you. And if we are constantly controlled by what's on the outside of us, it'd be like being on a roller coaster. But when you begin to become mature and begin to be able to, by the Spirit, control your mind and your heart and your actions... And that you are led by the Spirit. When, you can, when God brings his divine control in your life, and I mean that in a good sense, then what happens is the things that go on around you affect you in a less negative way. Sorry, yeah, in a less negative way. Do you hear what I'm saying? You, you are stronger. We want, to, I mean, we want to get to the place where nothing on the outside can affect what's going on the inside. Do you know what I'm saying? That we, like Jesus can be so sure of the Father's plan for our lives that when the professional fishermen think their boat is uh, um, uh, being destroyed, Jesus is fast asleep. Why? Because he knew the Father had told him to get to the other side. You hear what I'm saying? That's peace. That's, it's, it's not about circumstances. It's about what's going on on the inside of our lives that is the most important thing. And God can change circumstances. Jesus can speak to the storm, silence, be still, bang, finished. But it's the work that goes on inside. And this patiently waiting, knowing that whatever we do unto the Lord, whatever we do in his name, whenever we're sowing to the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit, what does that mean? Wise decisions, godly decisions, the wisdom from above that we were speaking. Whenever you don't act, whenever you restrain yourself because what you're about to do was not God's way, not God's word, not God's reaction, you're sowing to the Spirit. As we know, and we speak a lot about this, that when you do the opposite, when you're rash, when you speak too soon, anger too soon, and don't listen, 
What are you doing? You are sowing, aren't you? But you're sowing to the flesh. And that brings corruption, negative experience, hurt into your life. The flesh will never bless you. Sometimes it's the quick thing you want to do. The flesh is like, do it, do it now. Uh, but in the end, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. It won't be a blessing. But when you sow to the Spirit, patiently doing this, patiently doing the right thing, then you will find that not only will you change on the inside to become more stable, more secure, and more peaceful, but you will reap a harvest of righteousness. And so like a farmer, we have to sometimes say, just keep believing, just keep loving, just keep trusting, just keep doing the wisdom that is peaceable, just keep your heart right, just keep going, just keep doing what's counter the flesh, love, joy, peace, generosity, all these types of things, prayer, just keep doing the spiritual things, you'll feel like, well, what's happening? Trust the Lord. Not only will you change on the inside, but you will receive a harvest. Be like the farmer. See how the farmer, he's talking about a farmer that gets a harvest. It's not, see how the farmer never gets what he sows. There's no point being patient if there's no blessing in it. If we're going to be patient at the end of it, there's nothing. Well, I don't want that. You don't want that. But here, James is promising you. I mean, he said, he said it in James chapter 1. He talks about being patient. And he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produce patience. So you're going, to have to, you're going to have to encounter patience. But let patience have its perfect work. In other words, don't rush it. Don't be impatient. So that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So if we allow the patience, patiently sowing and doing the things of God, we will lack nothing. We will get a reward. There will be a harvest. Understand that. Maturity is being in the midst of, a, of, of something that's ongoing and saying, in the end, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Be patient, verse 8, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In other words, before you know it, it's all going to be over. Before you know it, it's all going to be over. What, the Lord's coming back? Yes, or you're going to go and be with the Lord. You know, as you get older, I'm not saying I'm old and old, but as you get older, you think, where's the time gone? You get older, you know, where's the time gone? And before you know it, it's going to be over. It's going to be our time to graduate to be with the Lord or he's going to come before you know it, before you know it. And so what we need to do is establish our hearts in these things. We've only got a few years together on this earth to practice the fruit of the Spirit, to practice prayer. We won't need any of these God-glorifying attributes and characteristics when Jesus returns because we will be immediately glorified and freed from all these sins. It'll be impossible for us to be in the flesh again. This is the time of great honor and victory. And, and how we deal with life and the Lord and others will determine the blessings and the glory that we bring to the Lord in eternity. And so this is the time. I mean, sometimes I sort of think to myself, God, I wish you'd do it, I wish you'd do it quickly because time is ticking and I don't have much more time on this earth and so how long is this patient work in me going to be done and sometimes God can turn that around and say well that's up to you 
That's up to you. But at other times, you've just got to know that God isn't like us. You know, God does not go to McDonald's. I love McDonald's, by the way. What I'm saying is, God's not a fast food God. I mean, I love McDonald's. I don't care what anybody says, I love McDonald's. And you don't have it every day, but have it once a week. And so, I go into McDonald's, and it's like, there's a queue of two people. I'm like, oh. And I'm there, and I'm thinking, come on, come on, come on, come on. And I'm like, what's it? And if there's a queue of six people, I'm sort of like, I walk into McDonald's, six people forget that. <laughs> now, what's that? Because fast food mentality, fast food restaurant. When I go to a special restaurant where they cook really fine food, I'm in there for the evening. You know, I'd be offended if I sat down, and, and as I was sitting down, here, what do you want? But I, whoa, wait a second, I'm, I'm, I'm here for the experience. I'm not going to rush that. If I was halfway through my starter, and they're like, have you finished with that? Yeah, but get, leave it. I'm, I'm and, and God is doing a great work in our lives, not doing a rush job. Not doing a rush job. And so we, we need to understand these principles that are here, not grumbling against one another where we've looked at that. But then he moves on, verse 10 says, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You've heard the perseverance of Job. And seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We've looked at the Lord in the midst of trials in James, uh, the latter part of James chapter 1 and 2. And that, and that we should never blame God for our trials because he's on our side of the trial. And that although he uses trials and sets the limits of the trials and can use them to bless us, he's with us in those trials. And one of the dangers, of course, is that we blame God for what we experience. And we look at the book of Job that shows that we shouldn't blame God, but we should cooperate with God. Everybody wanted Job to blame God, didn't they? Um, but they didn't see the end. And, you know, I hope none of you have Job's experience. None of us are looking for that. And when I speak about trials and tests, I don't think I'm speaking about the big trials of life, like a life-threatening disease or something like that. I am, but I'm speaking about the daily trials, the momentary, what you're going to do in the office when someone hasn't washed their teacup. It's a test. You're going to leave it to sheet some lesson, or are you going to wash it? That is just as much a character-forming test of trial. So I'd hate it if you went away from this series and think that Bruce is telling us all that one of us is going to have a car crash, one of us is going to get a life-threatening disease, one of us is going to go bankrupt, another one of us is, is going to you know, have a child go off and, and become a false religion. And I, That's not what I'm talking about. Do you hear what I'm saying? Although if any of those things happen, Jesus is still Lord. And he's still in control. I'm talking about that tomorrow you're going to have tests and trials. Little tests. Little tests here. And you have to be aware of them so that you can deal with them. But the thing is, what James is doing is he's using the biggest example of, the, of them all. He's saying, look, nobody got tested more than Job, said Jesus himself. But no one got tested in the prophets more than Job. They went through all sorts of things. But look what that man went through. Lost absolutely everything. Even his wife gave up and said, curse God and die. Even his advisors were like, there's something wrong with you. And yet he went through all that. And at the end, he had seven times more. Was it seven or double? I can't remember. He had a lot more than he had at the beginning. And he was blessed. 
And he now is an example. Job had no idea that what he was going through was for our benefit. No idea. And when you're going through a test or a trial, sometimes you have no idea. I mean, after a passage of time, when you've gone through the test of the trial, you can look back and see its benefits, but normally not during it. And look, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. God is compassionate. He's not going around striking people with sickness. He's not going around making your life a misery. Don't don't get into the temptation that we said earlier of blaming God. On the contrary, he is with you. And although the trial or test can sometimes come from the enemy, God always sets the boundaries over which the enemy cannot step. You will never go through anything that you can't handle with God. And it's not a surprise to God. It's not news to God. He's sovereignly in control. But then let's skip to verse 13. But James is also reminding us there are appropriate actions to do in different situations. So if anybody is among you suffering, let him pray. The, the amount of pain and suffering and hurt and anxiety that we go through simply because we do not carry things to God in prayer. Anybody remember what a friend we have in Jesus? What's that phrase? Oh, what? Oh, what needless, that bit. No, not that. No. Yes, but that bit before, mercy. Do you know that verse? What needless... Needless pain we bear, all because we do not go to God, we carry carry everything to God with prayer. You see, we're singing all these new songs, and I'm forgetting the old ones, so... um, Fabio, get some of those old ones out, because I can't remember them. So all the things that we suffer and the things that we don't need, because we don't carry things to God in prayer. And we need to not just pray ourselves, but for one another in these difficulties. Prayer is the appropriate response to suffering. Why? Because it makes a difference. I mean, it may, I mean if you've got an illness or something, the doctor gives you medicine, don't you take it? Don't you take it? You take a medicine. You take a medicine. You take the medicine because you know that medicine is the appropriate thing that's going to help you be healed. You'd be foolish not to. And so when you're suffering, God's medicine is prayer. It will make a difference. And then the next thing, is anyone cheerful? Is anyone happy? Is, every, is anyone blessed? Well, there's an appropriate response. You don't just stay blessed and cheerful. No. What you do, sing to God. Praise Him. Thank Him. It's the appropriate action to the situation you find yourself in. Is any one of you sick? Get prayer. Praying, when it speaks about the elders praying, this is, the elders are simply those that are really moving in faith in the church. It's not some sort of like position that you're voted in. The elders were always the ones that were the leaders and at the vanguard of spirituality in the church, all right? And so get them. Get those that are on fire for God to pray for you. Now, you would think, well, obviously you get prayer when you're sick. No, you don't. You don't. It, it amazes me how many people in our church do not come for prayer for healing. Some of them simply accept 
what they've got. I mean, I, I'm a diabetic, and there's been a number of times when I've caught myself not going forward for prayer. Not going forward. Now, whether God heals me or not, that, you know, I believe, but not even to... The appropriate response, just to accept your sickness or disability, is not acceptable to God. I'm sorry, it might be acceptable to you, especially if you get a paycheck for it, but those are getting less and less. Some people are going to be forced now to be healed who didn't want to be healed because of their paycheck. It's true. It's true. It's true. That is true. But God, 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 God is like, what? So you're going to stay ill and get a paycheck and not trust me for your provision? But anyway, don't want to go down that route. Already gone there. Let's get back. But there's an appropriate response. I understand that when you're being prayed for and it's not changed, and you're being prayed for and it's not changed, you just think, oh, well. And I'm not saying you have to go to every healing line, but to seek God for this prayer is a godly thing. And who knows when your healing's going to come? Who knows when it's going to come? Why not? Why not? And sometimes, speaking to someone who needs a healing, sometimes it's a humbling thing to come forward for healing, isn't it? Again. And again. Or you don't want to bother people in your cell group. It's a humbling thing because you're dealing with this thing. And, uh, but it's the appropriate response. I do believe that we, we are going to see more and more healings in the church. Uh, and that is really a conviction. It's like the sort of thing I suppose I should say, being a Pentecostal minister, about, oh, we're going to see more healings. Yeah, praise the Lord. But I actually have a conviction. But I think these healings are going to be accompanying healings. Because sometimes I think we are too flashy about our healings. I mean, you, do you know what I'm trying to say? I mean, we'll get people in the evening, bring them on and say, tell, and, and show us what's happened and everything. But I think, you know, when I look at the Acts of the Apostles, they were doing the work, oh, and they were healing people. They, were, they just got people healed. They let the heal, you know, the healings were accompanying everything. It's part and parcel, healing, 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 healing. It wasn't like upstage and center, healing, healing, healing. It was preach the gospel, discipleship. Oh, are you sick? Be healed. You sick, be healed. Oh, you fell asleep in the service, fell off the balcony and died. Be raised. That's what Paul had to do, didn't he? And it was like almost, that almost this healing is going to be, it's just going to come alongside us. It's not going to be, oh my God, someone got healed. You know, let's all go crazy about it and, and, and make so much out of it that we lose sight of the healer because we're too busy talking about what a wonderful miracle worker I am or you am. You is, sorry. <laughs> it's been a long day. I, I, think, I think that this healing is just going to flow. Healing is going to flow. And it's going to be here and there, and it's the body that's going to do it. We're going to pray for people. We're going to expect them to heal. We're not going to make a big song, and charismatic song and dance about it, but it's just going to be part and parcel. Someone's ill. They come and get prayed for. They're going to get healed. And I really believe that, that that's what's going to happen, that there's going to be an increase in accompanying healings. And we need to be mature enough to handle them and not jump around like, like a kid with a new toy all the time. But let the healings, the healings will promote themselves. Now, I'm not saying we don't take testimonies. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that I believe that there is going to be a move of healing with, with, with responsibility. Because Jesus would heal people and say, shh. Why? Because you're getting in the way of what I'm doing. But I just got healed. Shh. Just go your way. You be healed. Now get on with it. Go home and, you know. It didn't, it didn't go around, did it? It still got out. 
But he wasn't, he wasn't like, you know, making a big song and dance about it. He was like saying, this isn't the main thing. You get healed among what you're sick, be healed. Uh, and, and there's something's got to change about the healing ministry. An authenticity, but also a responsibility. So that instead of people criticizing us, because we're always jumping up and down trying to wave the next maybe healing in front of them, that people are just being healed. And it's a drawing attention to itself. Pray for people to be healed. Pray for your neighbors. Get, get into a situation with your colleagues where you can say, can I pray for you? Get into the situation where it's appropriate. Do it. Because that's where the healings are going to come in the body of Christ. That's what's going to happen. So that's a test. These are, you're in tests and trials, and they're saying you don't just sit and take them. There's things to do. Prayer ministry. There's cheerful praising for victories and testimonies. If you're sick, be prayed for. Because if God gives somebody the gift of faith at that moment, you, know, you don't know where your, your healing is. You don't, you don't know where, when your next healing is going to be. You don't, you don't know when the miracle's coming. You don't know. And we should be open and ready for it. Whether it comes soon or later, we should be ready and eager for it. It's a humbling thing to be ill and to, con to continue to seek the Lord for healing because it's, it's his will. And then verse 17, we'll just close on that. Elijah was a man with a nature just like us. And so we end with this wonderful picture of a prayer warrior. And, and James is saying, hey, he's just like you. He says, don't look at the prophets and people like Elijah and think, oh, well, major ministry, can't even... Say, no, Elijah was just like you. And he prayed, and God heard him. And he prayed, and God heard him. So understand that when you pray, God hears you. He might not do what you pray immediately, but he's heard you. Again, I'm finding, as I've been studying James, I've got a lot more peace in my prayer life. Because sometimes I've prayed about certain issues. And I'm thinking, well, you haven't answered that, but I know I've prayed about it. I know it's before your throne. So there's a number of scenarios, and I continue to pray about them and ask the Holy Spirit what levels of intercession. But there's a peace in my heart because I think, well, that is before the throne of God. And if I'm prompted to pray again and again, as the Scripture says, fine. But I've got a peace. I say, you know, Lord, and I brought this to you, this situation. And I'm confident that you've heard. And although I've not seen any change, I know that you've heard me. And I know that it's before your throne. And I'm open to press forth in intercession if there's more work that you want me to do. But there's a peace in my heart because these things are before you. Our prayers, well, our prayers remain before the Lord. You'll know that. And there's a great peace in that. When Elijah prayed, God heard him. When, when you pray, God hears you. He knows how to answer your prayers. But sometimes the answer isn't the important thing. It's to know he's heard. It's to know he's heard, to put your request in. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just want somebody to hear your request. Did you get my letter? Did you get my email? Did, did you get my request? Yes, I did. Okay, that's fine. As long as I know you've got it, I, I, I don't have to keep, you know, did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get it? Yeah, I've got it. I'll get back to you in due course. Oh, as long as you've got it. And it's the same with God. God, we need to have these times of great intercession and birthing things and all that. I'm up for all that. But also there's a time when you just need to know he's heard you. He's heard you. Be patient. 
He's heard you. It's before his own. And sometimes when I, and this I fin- I'll just finish on this. And sometimes, sometimes when I pray again, it's not for his benefit. <laughs> sometimes when I'm getting worried or concerned about a situation, I, I even say, Lord, I, I'm praying about this situation. I know it's before you, <laughs> but this is more for my benefit than yours because I need to pray through to get some peace again. But I know that you've heard it, and I just pray it, and very soon I'm still again because I'm putting it before his throne so that I can, I can do that. Well, what a wonderful book James is. Apply these things. If you've missed any of the sessions, you can always go back on them and apply these to your life. And then we will be entering into one of the greatest revelation upon which Christianity stands and falls, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, God bless you all. Have a great evening.